I'm going to start tonight with a verse of scriptures in 1 Corinthians 14. And anytime I begin to talk about gifts and, and, and we discuss some things about gifts, I want you to understand that, that it's never a derogatory way that I'm addressing spiritual gifts in the church, but the relevance and how important they are. And uh, I don't think they're very common. I was, what was kind of weird, I was reading a commentary today about a fellow, his, his opinion on uh, the New Testament church and, and the gifts of the Spirit working in, in the church. And, and, he was, and his opinion was they went out in the first century, they're no longer needed, the, the apostles were equipped to get the church going, and, and they just kind of faded in, in, along the wayside. And I've never seen the Lord do things like that, except for at the end of the Old Testament, there was a, a silence of how many years? From Old Testament to New Testament, there was no writings for about, about 400 years. And there are times that the Lord will pull His presence out and His, His influence out, but when we see the gifts of the Spirit, they need to be always relevant and functioning in our lives, not just at church, but also outside of the church doors. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I'm going to read verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 12. Uh, Even so, oh man, can you turn these big lights on up here? I need big lights. Okay. Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. And I want to stop here. Because every spiritual gift is about bettering the church. It's about bettering those that you're around. It's about the Holy Spirit bringing a message or something directly on behalf of those who need the gift. Spiritual gifts, miracles, prophecy, discernment of spirit, diverse tongues, and interpretation. We're going to be talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. We're going to cover all four of those tonight. I'm not going to be real lengthy. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I don't do a Wednesday night on a Sunday night. But, but you know, our, our miracles... I don't know why anyone would think that the day of miracles are over. Even before Jesus came, we, we lived, there was an era of miracles in the Old Testament. And, and I began to think about different things that took place in the Old Testament outside of the things that took place in the New, in the New Testament. So I'm just going to read some things to you. Miracles, uh, um, are they, um, they were the only a modern New Testament church phenomenon only. No, not at all. But they were in the Old Testament. So I'm just going to go through some things. The axe head floated. The sea separates. The ground was dry. The lion's mouths were shut. There was no grain. There was a drought. There was rain that was brought forth. Naaman had leprosy. He was healed. David uh, killed Goliath. Uh, pretty bad when you can't read. Uh, yep. Oh, the rod, Moses' rod turned to a snake and it devoured the other one. The burning bush was in fire, but it was never consumed. Manna fell from heaven. The Shunammite woman's son was raised to life. The cruise of oil never stopped flowing until all the vessels were filled. Jacob's increase of goats was putting the reeds in the water, the stripes, the speckles, all those things. All the other giants fell. And we could go on and on and on. Literally, that's probably about 20 right there in just a matter of just a few seconds. A miraculous things that happened in the Old Testament. But do you believe that miracles are still relevant and they can still happen today? You know, I could go around the room and some of you could tell a miracles that took place in your life. You all have heard me tell stories. And I'm not gonna, I probably will tell some tonight, but, but I'm not going to sit and tell a lot. But I can tell you of little things that happened in my life over the years that was nothing short but little miracles. Things that took place and they may have been little to you, but at the moment they were quite large to me. So I'd like you to go to uh, the book of Joel, if you will. We're going to start there in chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. 
verse 28 and 29. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids. In those days will I pour out my spirit. I want to stop here. And I've never in my life thought of it this way until today. But always before in the Old Testament, when there was a word of prophecy or there was a word of knowledge or there was a vision, it was usually to one of the prophets. It wasn't a general thing. Are you with me? But he said in the last days, everyone is going to begin to see manifestations of great godly things happening in their life. So I believe that in the day in which we live and you and I in our life, that we the same way can experience the same things. I think there are things that are they're, they're, they're actually laid out before us as believers. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at verse 10. And to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of spirits, to another, diverse kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. You may be wondering why we're doing this, and I've, I've, the last few Sunday nights that we were in service, I've tried to share about the gifts of the Spirit and their relevance in our life and how important they need to be functioning in our life. So when you hear the word a miracle, and in sign language, the word for miracle is wonderful work. It's a wondrous work. It's something that's supernatural. It's not something that can be done on your own ability. It's something that flows from heaven, that it creates something that takes place that's, that's just absolutely extraordinary. It, it's a power. It's an energy. It's a display of authority over, uh, over your circumstance. And, you know, I can tell you a lot of things, but y'all remember the story. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But before I went to CBC to college, and I went one year to Eastern Kentucky, I'd ask the Lord for a sign. And I said, Lord, you know, if you really want me to go there, and you may not think this is a miracle, that it's just a sign, but to me the sign was a miracle. And I was, got up early, and I was headed to work, and on the way to work I was praying, and, and I said, Father, you've got to show me today ex exactly, I've got to have a sign, I've got to have an answer, I need, I need you to show me. And how many of y'all know that God many times will speak audibly to people that are a little slow to get it? Y'all have heard me talk about that before. Well, I was a little slow to get it, and I'm traveling to London from Mount Vernon, I was in prayer on the way down there, and, and you know, kind of, do I go to college, do I go back to CBC, or do I go to CBC, what do I do? And I prayed and I said, Lord, this morning sometime, i got to see some deaf people. i got to see something that you reaffirm and let me know for sure I'm supposed to move to Springfield, Missouri. How many of y'all remember this story? Really? How many of you? Okay. So I figured you'd forget that one. And so I pull in, the, I get to London, and I pull in the gas station. I, I never park in the front. I always park around the side to let the front be for customers. And I remember pulling up, and I looked. And at the soda machine or pop machine, where I'm from, at the pop machine, there was two deaf guys talking to each other. They never came in the parts store. They didn't talk to me. Of course, I couldn't have talked to them yet. I just looked at them. They bought their pops, turned around and talked, went back and got in the car and left. The thing that was so miraculous about that is that wasn't the first time that God began to reaffirm things in my life by Him showing me miraculous things. Was it because I deserved it? No. But sometimes the Lord would do little miracles just to show Himself to us. He wants to reward you. You know, whenever you're in a service and you get a blessing and just the presence of the Lord begins to fall on you, man, you get emotional. Maybe you, maybe you get to shake. And I don't know what your little, maybe your mannerisms are, but man, you just are so uh, in, in, enveloped in His presence that sometimes He does that just because you need that special thing. And, and that happened in my life, and that was a miracle because I never seen it just, you had to be there. It was too profound for it to be anything different. So that was a working, something that was powered, something that was energied from something above to, for the timing of things for me to get there. Well, if you notice in chapter 12 and verse 4, and I read this every week, 
It said, now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of, of uh, operations, but it is the same God that worketh all in all. But the manifestations of the Spirit is given to every man to what? To profit. Remember this. Every spiritual gift has to do with profiting. I don't believe that God ever created or done anything that you and I will not profit, but it is to better us. If you were going to invest money in the stock market, do you want to make a profit? Absolutely. If you're going to invest in a piece of property to turn around and sell it, you want to make a profit. If God's going to invest, listen, if God's going to invest something in you that's above and beyond you, do you not think he's looking for a return? Absolutely. He wants to see that his investment in you is not only blessing you, but it's also reaching out to others. What are miracles? Do we need or should we or could, should we still expect miracles today? Absolutely. Many theologians believe and feel that we no longer need his supernatural acts for the church. I'm going to be honest with you. We have ne never needed supernatural acts in our church more than we do today. Absolutely. Because we are in such a time of, of engulfing self and all the things that are always dangling before us out in the world and activities and things. Now, I'm, not, I'm not speaking against being busy and enjoying life. But I'm telling you, we are in a fierce competition with the world. We just are for our own lives. It's always wanting to suck the life right out of us. Miracles are personal. They're supernatural. Healings. When I begin to think about the miracles in the New Testament, and, you know, let me go back for just a moment. What is a miracle? A miracle is a wonderful work. It's a supernatural act. It's something that took place that isn't ordinary. It's something that cannot necessarily be explained in the natural. Or you know what? You just can't. You know, many of you have experienced healings from sicknesses and things that other people would have never thought could take place. And so I began to write down a few things. There was a variety in the, in the New Testament. Multiple healings. A daughter was raised to life. A woman touched the hem of the garment. Money was taken out of a fish's mouth. And Jesus told Peter, go catch a fish. Why did he send Peter to catch a fish? Oh, really? Why did he send Peter to go catch a fish? I'm going to ask it one more time. Why did Jesus send Peter to go catch a fish? Because he was a fisherman. God didn't send Dwight. He didn't send, he didn't send uh, one of the other disciples. For some reason, he chose Peter because Peter knew what he was doing. He sent him there, and he provided a miracle. How many of y'all think that Peter was thinking, why am I going to catch a fish? Why am I going to catch a bluegill? Why am I going to catch a, star, a, 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 a trout or whatever it was he caught? Why am I going to do this? Well, when he caught it, what was in his mouth? A piece of money. He brought the money he paid. Why did the Lord do that? I don't know, but it was miraculous. Why did he raise Lazarus from the dead? Because he loved him. What about Zacchaeus? What about the miracle of Zacchaeus? The greatest miracle that takes place, and we've seen it at these altars many times. The greatest miracle that takes place is when somebody goes from being lost to being found. Luke 15, everybody has value. But when a person goes from being lost to being found, that is the greatest miracle we will ever get to witness because it's about a transformation in a life. What about those who had fever, Peter's mother? What about those who had eyes that couldn't see, but now they could? What about the ears that were deaf and now they could, they could hear? What about when Peter had worked all night and the Lord said, cast on the other side of the boat? When he cast the other side of the boat, we know he caught 153 fish. Let me ask you this. What if everybody who had boats around had cast out on that command? 
what would have taken place. I don't know, but it was a miracle. It was an absolute miracle. Some of you in this room, we could go around the room and just hear miracle after miracle of things that took place to bring you to the place that you are. How many of you believe in miracles? How many of you could use a miracle? Yeah. Don't quit praying for it. Don't quit believing for it. The miracles of the Old Testament and the New Testament alike are still relevant in the day in which we live. The next gift is not to work into miracles. But let's stop for a minute and let's talk about those who have the gift of working in miracles. Uh, working in miracles is something that's broad. It's not just for preachers. It's not just for uh, people who have um, certain credentials. The working in miracles, I believe, is for every believer. And it's something that only God can send us to do or he can work it in our life. But I believe there are people that are instrumental in other people's lives that you bring something, that you provide a miracle in their life. I don't know. How many of you have ever showed up on a wreck, a real bad wreck scene, and, and you were the first one there, or maybe one of the few ones there, and you were able to do something, you were able to apply? I don't know the details, but I know miracles come in a lot of ways, but the gift of miracles is something that comes also with the laying on of hands, also with the agreement of prayer, also in just complete obedience. The next uh, gift in this particular passage is to another, um, another prophecy. Now, what is prophecy? When we hear the word prophecy, what do we think of? A message. How many of y'all think of the book of Revelation? The whole book of Revelation is a prophecy about things to come. And there's lots of references from Revelation to the Old and even to the New Testament about things to come. But prophecy is a prediction, a revelation of things to come, an inspired utterance. So let me stop here for a minute. Working a miracle is this. Uh, I'm going to go back because the story just came to my mind. I don't remember who the preacher was. I think it was Dwight Thompson. Have you ever heard of Dwight Thompson on TBN? I think it was him sharing it. There was a lady who was wanting to come to a revival service. It may have been R.W. Shambach. I can't remember. But this lady was wanting to go to church. Her husband wasn't a believer. He didn't want her to go. This is back probably in the 80s. He didn't want her to go, didn't want her to go. And she said, well, I'm going. So he went out while she was in the house. He went out and took her uh, distributor cap off. And some of you know what that is, and most of you probably don't. But he took the distributor cap off and pulled out the rotor button. This is before technology, electronic stuff again now. He took the rotor button out, put the distributor cap back on, closed up, went in the house, and kind of chuckled. She ain't going nowhere. So he goes in the house, and he sits down. His wife finishes. She goes, you going with me? He said, no. So she goes out, gets in her car, turns the key. Guess what? It started. She goes to church. After she gets to church, she looks. Here comes her husband in the back door. She said, what are you doing here? He goes, something, took something happened in your car. I went out and disabled it where it cannot start. It cannot run. You got in. It started. You came anyway. And that night he gave his, his life to Christ. Two miracles. Those are the working and miracles, and they're relevant today because the same things happen. But here's the thing. God supersedes the works of man to perform a miracle many times in our life, and we're not even aware of it. We go to the next, the next one, the word of prophecy, and we think of a prophecy being some big um, crazy thing that happens. And to me, one of the, when we hear the word of prophecy, there was a guy my wife and I used to go to church with. I won't mention his name, but he was really big on personal prophecies. And, and I'm not saying that personal prophecies are never, never relevant and never of God, but I, I don't like being in, in environments where there's always somebody that's got a word for somebody. You know, not that it's never happened and not that it's never not been right for me, but most of the time if I need a word, I want him to speak it to me. You know, let it come through a message of somebody else. Uh, or let, and there's times that people have come and given me a word and I apply it and it's, and it's worked or maybe it hasn't. But, but a word of prophecy is something that ought to be inspired. It's an inspired utterance. No different than a word of wisdom. No different than a word of knowledge. 
No different, we'll get interpretations in a few minutes, but it is an inspired word. It doesn't just come because you're at church. It comes because the Creator has a message to be delivered to you through the word of prophecy. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, to me, one of the greatest prophecies I like to read is Isaiah 53. If you'd like to go there, fine. If not, I'm just going to read it to you. This is, to me, one of the greatest prophetical writings um, hundreds of years before Christ ever came. Verse 1 says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Basically, who's going to listen, and who will embrace what he has? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And, it, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Who is that? That's no other than Christ. That was the word of prophecy about who he would be and the role that he would play. All the book of Revelation, there is one place in Revelation I would like to talk to you about just briefly. It's in chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, a word of prophecy. Verse 16 says, <clears throat> And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive the mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, so that no man might buy or sell, save that that he has the mark. Or the man that has the beast or the number of his, of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. The number is six hundred three score and six. The reason I wanted to read that to you is because there was a lot of times, and a hundred years ago this made absolutely no sense. None at all. And how many of you a few weeks ago saw that how it's becoming so prevalent in Canada and other places that people are having all their information embedded in their, in their hand, like right here in the meaty part of the right hand. Why? So they can go anywhere, have it scanned, all their information, their address, their, in, their insurance. Are you with me? What a word of prophecy. What a profound thing that was written by John the Revelator on the Isle of Patmos 1,900 years ago. A revelation from God is something that was relevant for me and you. Words of prophecy are not just something that we look at and we wink at. It's something that we embrace. Can words of prophecy be personal? Yes. Should they be proven by the prophet? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest issues about words of prophecy from somebody is you can get a lot of spiritual kooks that go around getting a group of people around them and start giving words of knowledge and words of prophecy to people that have absolutely no business giving them. And a lot of people will take their words and go and sell things and do things and move by embracing the words of a man instead of embracing the words of God. And so this prophecy relevant? Yes. But it isn't something to be looked at lightly. This is a precious gift. It is an anointed utterance. Right? Prophecy. We're almost done. Close. Discernment of spirits. I'd like you to go to John chapter 10. And I'm going to be really honest with you on this one. I think chapter 10 explains something about this gift that's really critical. And I think this is one that ought to be relevant in all of our lives. How many of you all have ever been freaked out by spiritual gifts? Come on, I'm going to ask again. How many of you have ever been freaked out by spiritual gifts? Absolutely. You think, dude, this is crazy. Get, get, me, get me a bat. Get me something. Protect me. I'm getting out the back door. 
maybe a few of you have never been. I have. I've been in places it was a little bit overwhelming. But this gift here is something that should be an operation in every believer's life. It should just be there, and it's discernment of spirits. And you may think, well, what's the uniqueness about that? Because I think discernment of spirits is something that comes with maturity and learning to listen to the voice of the Lord. It's not something that you have to look to the dynamics, but it's often also something that you bear witness in yourself. It doesn't have to be an outward expression. It's something that you just know. How many of y'all have these, you just know? How many of y'all have just been in places, you just knew things? You knew something. You had, a, you had a whatever it is, the Spirit bore witness with you that you just knew. And if this discernment is something that ought to be prevalent in all of our lives. But in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 10, I hope that's what I told you. I told you, John, well, I'm kind of a John guy. But let's go to Matthew chapter 10. And let's look at verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But be aware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. Jesus was giving them a little insight of what, what was to come. And friend, they needed discernment to know where to go, where not to go. What to say, what not to say. I'm telling you, this is a very critical thing in your life as a believer. You need to have discernment to know when to talk. And when not to talk. When to be involved, when not to be involved. Discernment means this. To be aware of the men's intents. Know their heart, know their motives. Look at something behind them that nobody else may not recognize, but you do. How critical is this gift? Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing. But when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become such as have such as have a need of milk and not strong meat, strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But strong meat belongeth to them that are that are full of of age, even those by reasons to use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The thing about this particular gift, it comes with maturity in your growth. And let me just say this, you will have very little discernment. If you've been a Christian now for 10 years, and there's never been any maturity, if you haven't developed any favorite readings, you haven't developed any principles of the Scripture and the Word in your life that you're applying and it's making a difference, then something's wrong, you're still on, you're still on the bottle. And you're never going to have discernment until maturity comes. Jesus didn't send the disciples out in the beginning to be aware because they didn't have enough sense to recognize. But as they begin to mature, he said, discern, pay attention. Watch people that you're around, pay attention to the things they say, how they behave, and the things that go on. The last place we want to go is in 2 Kings when it comes to discernment. 2 Kings chapter 5. This is an example, I think, that every one of us in here will, will really recognize about the ability to discern things. Chapter 5 and verse 26. And he went in, and he stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not my heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee. Is it time to receive money and receive garments 
and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and all the rest you can read. The leprosy, verse 27, therefore a Naaman shall cleave unto you and thy seed forever. Wow, what a profound thing. Nobody told him. Nobody gave him a, a video clip. Nobody didn't see it on the news. But something about him, when Gehazi left, his heart went and he discerned what was going on. Are you with me? How critical is that discernment in your life? What do you do and how do we operate when we begin to discern that something is not right with somebody? How do we operate when with somebody we love or someone we're close to and we begin to incense and we begin to discern that something isn't working right in their life? What do we do? Friend, discernment is for a reason. It's not always just so you know. Many times it's you begin to intercede. It's because you are the one that is the, the one in between them and the judgment, between them and their maker. You are the one that God discerns, and he gives you the answer before it ever takes place. Is this making any sense at all? How important is discernment? If you have a spouse, or you have a child, or you have a neighbor, you have a friend that is really battling, and they're tanking, and you can discern it before it ever happens, you are their element. There's a reason why you know that. There's a reason why the Lord revealed that to you with that spiritual gift. Diverse kinds of tongues. Isaiah chapter 20, verse 11 and 12 says they, they will speak to them with stammering lips in another tongue. They will not listen, basically. But that was the first scripture in the Old Testament begins to tell about things that would take place in Acts chapter 2. So I'd like you to go to Acts chapter 2. Uh, diverse tongues is a supernatural act, something that comes from God. Is it something that's abused? Dude, absolutely. But let me give you a little bit of insight on that. Tongues is the most abused gift of all of them. It is the most abused gift of all the gifts. If you come on Wednesday night, you hear me talk about this. And the reason it's the most abused is because it's the most unaccountable. It's just the most unaccountable. We hear more hype. We had things happen at our kids' camp this past year that I didn't agree with, and, and Nathan Lynn didn't agree with it, and we just concerning some things that took place. It is the most hidden behind thing that people put labels on that make you spiritual or unspiritual when it comes to the infilling, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing about this gift. This gift should be just as precious as a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a working of a miracle, divine healing. There's no difference. The problem is without the accountability, it's become rampant and it's no longer valued. It just isn't in the church. Not that it doesn't have its place because it does. And not that it isn't relevant because it is. But it has been something that has been taken and abused with mankind. Let me just tell you this. You're not going to get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit when the preacher gets in front of you and starts saying, say this real quick, burrito, 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 taco, 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 taco. That's not how it happens. Let me give you a little insight. I had someone tell me before they left this morning that I need to start preaching on the Holy Ghost. Thank you, thank you. But here's the thing. If you want to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you get hungry for Jesus. You don't need me in your ear. You don't need me shaking you. You don't need to be on the floor rolling around and people all over you. You need to have an experience with Him. This gift of the Holy Spirit is an utterance. It is a physical thing that takes place. Diverse tongues. What is diverse tongues? I mean, everybody's going to have a whole bunch of different languages. Not necessarily. But there are languages that God speaks, and it is a supernatural act. In the book of Acts, and I love the video I've shown a couple times over the years. Chapter 2, verse 1. To me, it's a great expression of what Pentecost was a lot like. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. 
and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is not to be downplayed. It is not to be valued. It is to be valued. But let me ask you, every time somebody is filled with the baptism of the Spirit, is there a cloven tongue from heaven that comes and kind of sits on their head? Did it happen anywhere else in the book of Acts other than Acts chapter 2? No. So why did it happen that day? It's kind of like that first experience of, of a lot of things. There's something unique about that first time it took place. The disciples have been waiting days because Jesus told them to tarry for this gift. And he told them to wait till you be endued with power. And, and while they were there, they was just, obviously this was the thing that he was sent. And you can read the rest of chapter 2 and the great revival began to take place. Acts chapter 2 is the first initial evidence of speaking in tongues. It's a supernatural utterance. It's not a learned behavior. It's not a copied language. This is a gift distributed as the Holy Spirit imparts it to believers. 1 Corinthians, if you will, <clears throat> in chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Follow after love, or charity. Desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto all men, but unto God. Now let me stop here for a minute. One of the most un untaught and one of the most ignored things about the gift of the Holy Spirit is that when you are alone, you need to spend time in intimate prayer with the Lord. You go before Him. And you need then is a great time for you to begin to enter in and begin to speak in tongues. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Every time I sit down, I don't do it. It isn't like a lot of preachers, man. It just, it just flows all the time. Me, I guess I'm a little different, but it doesn't. But whenever I enter into a season of prayer in my office or in the car or wherever it is, it's amazing. It is those, it is those, man, it is those holy moments when the presence of the Holy Spirit begins to fall that I can speak nothing else but that language, nothing else. If you want to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to have me imparting anything to you. You need an impartation from Him to you. Friend, seek it, yes. Most of all, just seek a closer walk with the Lord and desire Him to empower you and fill you and to make you more and to draw you more into Him. I'm going to continue reading this. Um, For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. That is what's so critical about this gift. It is something for you. You know, we have a couple ladies, Brenda's one and, and Ruth uh, Weaver's another one. If you ever sit up in this area on Sunday mornings, you're going to hear it. It's going to be it's going to be going on. I mean, it, it isn't messages in tongues. It isn't for interpretation. Man, it is a moment. They have entered into this place of worship, and, and the Lord's beginning to bless them. Am I right, Brenda? It's just one of those things. And, and they're exuberant about their worship, and they begin to sing, or they begin to speak in tongues. Why? Because it's a blessing. It's something that they do. They're not trying to give a proclamation to everybody. It's something between them and God. How many of you have ever sung in the Spirit? Have I ever sung in the Spirit? Man, you get in this place, and, and I never heard it before in my life, but it, it's, it's a form of worship, and you're singing, and you're speaking things that you have no idea because the Spirit's speaking through you, because it's very personal, and it's between you and God, and that's where I get the very personal thing. This gift of the Holy Spirit doesn't always have to be something everybody sees. Man, it's something that should be intimate between you and Him. 
Because if it can't be intimate between you and him, then it shouldn't be public for everybody else to be seeing. And the last one, well, almost the last one, but it is the next to the last one. The last one is this, interpretation. This is a God-sent word for that moment. Not just a verse to be quoted, not a reoccurring message of the past however many times. It is a divine moment. And I'm going to be honest with you, and I don't say this to offend you in any way, but I've been in Pentecost and been in the Assemblies of God my whole life, either Church of God or Pentecost, since I was four years old. And I believe that if our God is big enough to give us a divine word with tongues, He is big enough to give us a divine interpretation. Not that there's never the same gist in messages, I understand that, but it's not the same thing every time. Are you with me? This is a divine moment. Why would God choose to speak to us at a divine moment? And just tell us the same thing he told us two weeks ago or the month. And there's times that happens. I'm not going to say that isn't. But it should be something that's precious and holy and separated. 1 Corinthians 14, 28, and this is where we're going to close. But if there is no interpreter, let him that keep silence in the church and let them speak to himself and the God. Actually, it's not the last place. Chapter 12 and verse 11 is the last. But all these worketh the one and the selfsame spirit, divided to every man severally as he will. And here's the thing I really encourage you. And I shared this a couple, well, several weeks ago now, the first night we talked about gifts. Be open to the Holy Spirit. Don't freak out when he begins to speak to you about something. Don't let it intimidate you and think, oh my goodness, I'm a weirdo. The Lord's telling me to go pray for Larry. Why is the Lord telling me to go pray for Larry? I don't know why he's telling me to go pray for Larry. But if he's telling you to go pray for Larry, guess what? Go pray for Larry. If there's somebody in here, you felt led, and all of a sudden, dude, you don't even know who they are. And, and, and you see a couple come in, and they don't look like they have a need. They don't look like anything out of the ordinary. But you're, you're on this side, and you look up, all of a sudden, you see a couple over there, and you start thinking, oh my goodness, Lord, why are you speaking to me? You're telling me to go give them money? Why would I give them money? I don't want to give them money. But he's saying, go give them money. You say, Lord, why am I giving them money? Because they have a need and nobody knows about it. That is a gift. That is a word of knowledge, if you will, that you need to operate in. And you need to go and give it to them. Why? Because it's an operation. Remember, this is always about profiting the church. There's times that it's to benefit us as well. But many times it's always outward. That's what these gifts are for. They're to strengthen and they're supernatural acts of the Lord in the church. You agree with that? I saw the light, right? I'll fly away. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. Gifts. Are they over? They shouldn't be. And I don't want to see them leave. But I'm going to tell you this. It's our responsibility to learn to pay attention so they begin to operate. Learn to be obedient. You know, so many of you work in, in operating in gifts that nobody ever sees, nobody ever knows. And I know that something happens in the church all the time. The Lord impresses and He speaks to you and you discern things, you know things, He gives you words about things and you go and you share it, whatever. I understand that. But don't be afraid to be obedient when He starts dealing with your heart about issues. Man, step out and let Him bless you because you never know where it's going to go. How many of y'all have ever heard of Catherine Coleman? I know you have. How hard was the first person she ever prayed for to go pray? How many of you remember Rex Humbard? Back in the 50s and 60s, thousands of people were healed. He, he wasn't anything extraordinary. He was a good preacher, but he wasn't that great. Oral Roberts, good preacher, wasn't nothing exceptional. 
But there was something that it started with one when they went and laid hands and came into agreement. Manifestation took place. And every one of them, it was seasonal. It didn't stay with them really their whole life. There were seasons. It's the same with us. So don't miss your season. Don't be afraid of spiritual gifts. Be open to let the Lord work in you in those gifts to make a difference in someone else's life. I'm just going to be just really weird, but does anybody have a question or something you want to ask me? Or we just talked about this before. This is really weird. I've never done anything like this before. But anybody? What do we believe? We believe that it's no different than God speaking to us directly. It's a supernatural thing. You can read in Scripture that tongues are for what? They're for a sign. To the believer, no, but to the unbeliever. And tongues were there for a message interpretation, but something that's relevant in the church. Anybody else? Anybody? How many of you come out of a Pentecostal background your whole life? Yeah, how many of you come out of a Baptist background? How many of you come out of a Methodist background? How many of you come out of no kind of background? Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of times, because it isn't something we've heard a lot about, it's kind of weird and freaks you out and you think it's kind of psycho, but it really isn't. Things only get strange and weird when people make it strange and weird. If this God we serve is, is big enough to give us gifts to edify and build up the church, then he can do that. Don't be afraid of him working in your life. But I really encourage you, everyone in here, from the youngest to the oldest, to be open to him speaking to your heart. I'm going to tell you this one story I shared on a Wednesday night a couple weeks ago. This is a perfect example of, um, of someone who was led by the Spirit of the Lord to go speak something. First of all, the girl was, I don't know if she was literally blind, but she couldn't see very well at all. She was at her youth camp this summer. I think she was 15. I know she had glasses. She couldn't see anything without them. I mean, nothing. And she goes through the prayer line, and I know some of you have heard this already, but the Lord told her to go get prayed for. So she gets up, goes through the prayer line with all these high school students praying over here. Why? The gift of healing was in effect. She received healing. The Lord told her if she operated in obedience, he told her to take your glasses off. She said, Lord, if I take my glasses off, what? I can't see. He said, take your glasses off. She took her glasses off. She began to get prayed for. She walked through. She could see everybody praying for her. She could see everything perfectly. And it didn't end there. You remember the rest of the story. After she was prayed for, she went back home after camp. She had her optometrist. She wanted to go see her optometrist to show him her eyes and let him see what's going on, this miracle that took place. She goes to see this doctor. Had been, I guess, doctoring her for years. She goes and she sees him. She goes into his office. He begins to talk to her, and he looks at her eyes and looks at the charts, and he said, these are not the same eyes you had the last time you got glasses. Tell me about Jesus. Tell me what happened. Tell me how this took place. Why? Because a young lady was obedient. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to her, and I think she's actually one that made the appointment. Why? Because she had discernment to know the right message at the right time for the right person to embrace it. You may not think that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Because that optometrist will never be the same. Never. Because of a young girl. She will never be the same because of the gift of healing. These are things that still operate. But I think us as a church and us as individuals miss so much of what he has because we're afraid we're intimidated we think that's too crazy or that's wild or that's nuts or that's kind of no we're not talking about getting crazy just be open father tonight for every family that's here every individual